If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 13 this morning. John chapter 13. Uh, my name is Michael. I am the minister to children and families, and so delighted to be here this morning and have this opportunity. And um, so we look at this familiar passage of Scripture. There's a temptation right for us all to say, well, I've heard this before. I know what this says. And we can easily have our minds drift. We can easily think, I've, I know what this is about. And not really focus and ask the Holy Spirit to speak afresh and anew to us. You know, it's no accident that you're here this morning. There's no accident that we're looking at this passage together. And so I asked, as we read these words, and as I attempt to teach on them and preach on them, that you would allow God's Spirit just to speak to you. Because He desires to do that. So let's read together John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. Before we read, Tom is going to lead us at the end uh, of our service in a special time of prayer for Ukraine. And so just want to prepare you for that as we, uh, uh, after the conclusion of our service. So John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17 this morning. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Erskat, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my feet. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed his feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am so. 
If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I truly give you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are here with us. Thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to hear from you this morning. May your spirit encourage, may your spirit convict, may your spirit bring life as it can only can. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Humility. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. C.S. Lewis. Do you wish to rise? Begin by descending. You plan a tower that will pierce the clouds? Lay first the foundation of Humility, Augustine. Humility is a characteristic that flies in the face of this world. We live in a culture that constantly seems to tell us to promote oneself, to look after me first, to take care of number one. Humility is often seen as the enemy of promotion. Yet over and over again, we see the scriptures proclaim the importance of humility. In Proverbs 11, verse 2, it says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Or Matthew 5, 3, Blessed are the pure in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. 1 Peter 5, 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time He may exalt you. Humility. We often do not see the value and benefit of it, but it is humility that can keep us from sin. We recognize our need of God and do not become conceited unless we fall. It is humility that allows us to learn and grow. It allows us to be more teachable. Humility allows us to love more fully. It is only as we empty ourselves that we can truly love more fully. Humility. God's Word tells us that He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Or in our scripture this morning, we see that Jesus gives us a beautiful picture of love and humility. And it is my desire that you might behold the glorious wonder 
and the beauty of our Savior and His humility and love for us. John chapter 13. John writes his gospel. He tells us in chapter 20 verse 31, I've written these things so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so the whole purpose of John is so that you might see that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah, and that believing in him, you might have life. And he divides his gospel clearly into two different sections. The first 12 chapters we see is often referred to as the book of signs in which Jesus performs these different miracles showing how Jesus is the Messiah. And then in chapters 13 through the closing of the book is often referred to as the the book of passion or the book of glory. Well, inside these chapters are chapters 13 through 17 in which we are going to look over the next few weeks. And these chapters are often referred to as the farewell discourse or the upper room discourse. Here's the scene. Jesus is with his disciples for one final time. He knows his death is soon approaching, that in less than 24 hours that he will be crucified for the sins of the world. He knows that the Father's wrath is soon to be poured out upon him. And so he has gathered his followers together for one last time to give them some final words of instructions, to give them some final lessons that they are to take with them. As you know, as we approach death, that those final words are words that we want to make an impact, that we want words that will last. And so Jesus, no doubt here, is giving us a final glimpse in what he wants his disciples to learn and to take with them as he soon dies. This passage of Scripture, we're going to divide into three different parts. This morning, as we see, he gives his disciples a lesson on humility and love. In the first three verses, we're going to see first the identity and heart of our humble Servant, the identity and heart of our humble servant. Thirteen men have gathered together in the upper room, in this upper room in a home in Jerusalem. The Bible tells us in verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, it's the time of the Passover, right? You remember the Passover in which Moses led the people of Israel out of slavery from Egypt in which the last plague that came they would put blood on the door and the angel of death passed over them and did not kill the firstborn. And so it's this feast that they remembered each year and so he has gathered his disciples for this one last meal together. And very soon Jesus himself would be the Passover lamb who takes away the sins of the world with his own 
blood. Yet notice with me how Jesus is described. What John tells us about who Jesus is, because when we understand who Jesus is, that makes what he does that much more significant and important. In verse 1, we see this truth. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, Jesus has divine knowledge. He knew that his hour had come. Isn't it interesting, as you read through the Gospel of John, that you would see over and over again, Jesus declare, now's not my time. And he would slip away and he would say, it's not my time yet. But now he knows. And he he says, Jesus, John declares, Jesus knows that his hour has come. Jesus' public ministry is now over. Jesus knows his time and death is intimate. No one is going to catch him off guard. No one is going to take his life. But Jesus is going to willingly lay it down. Jesus knows what awaits. He has divine knowledge. But also notice quickly with me, notice his heart that he loves to the very end. Verse 1 again, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This word end referring to completion, perfection. He loved his disciples to the utmost. Jesus had taught them, right? He had cared for them. He had loved them. He had protected them. These disciples were his own whom he had invested in. Even the one who will soon betray him, Jesus loved to the end. Those, even the one who would deny him shortly after, he loved to the end. His love is one of perfection. And so we see his knowledge, we see his love, and thirdly, I want you to notice this about Jesus. We see his authority. Notice verse 3. He knew who he was, and he knew what power and authority he had. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and he had come from God, was going back to God. Does not say some things, does not say a few things, but the Father had given him all things. Can you say all things with me? All things. If there was anyone who was to be served this night, if there was anyone whose foot should have been washed, whose feet should have been washed, it was Jesus Christ himself. He is the one who has all authority. Consider this verse in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. It says this, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. What a picture of who Christ is. 
Christ is the image of the invisible God. He is the one who created all things. He is the one who is holding all things together. He is the head of the body. He is the preeminent one. All things were created by him and for him. The fullness of God dwelled in Jesus. And he's going to be the one that washes the disciples' feet. Christ has authority. I'm reminded of the verse in Matthew 10, 29 through 30. It says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and yet not a, one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father? Even the heads, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Hear this truth this morning. There is nothing that surprises our God. No war, no general, no king. Our God is ultimately above them all. Proverbs 21 says this, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. We live in a fallen world with wicked rulers, but ultimately God will bring about his judgment upon all who oppose him. The Bible tells us that one day every knee will bow at the name of Jesus and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Every person, every name will bow and give glory to God. And so here's this picture of who Jesus is. He has all authority. He knows. He has divine knowledge. And he loves his disciples. And so we see his identity and heart that leads to verses 4 through 11 in which we see the example of our humble servant. The example of our humble Savior. It's important to remember right at the entrance of each Jewish home there was a large basin of water. And that basin of water was there to wash visitors' feet. This task was reserved for the lowest of low. It was the servant's job. It was the lowest ranking slave that was delegated to this task. When guests came in, right, the servant was expected to go to the door and wash each traveler's feet. Everyone in this culture had the exact same problem. On good days, the roads would just simply be dusty and their Feet wearing sandals would be covered in dust and dirt, and on rainy days, more mud and muck. Having traveled on foot and sandals, naturally by the time Jesus and his disciples arrived, their feet were covered in dirt from the journey, but yet there was no servant there when they arrived in the upper room to wash their feet. And throughout Jesus' life, right, he has already taught his disciples the importance of servanthood. He's taught his disciples about humility. He's told them if you want to be first, you need to be last and a servant at all. He's told them if you want to be great, then you need to become like the least of these. Whoever is humbled is the one who will be exalted, but the one who exalts himself will be humbled. 
And so as no one is there this night to wash the disciples' feet, in verse 4 it says, He rose from supper, he laid aside his outer, outer garments and took a towel. This Jesus, speaking of Jesus, the one who is the eternal one, the one who upholds the universe, is the one who begins to wash his disciples' feet. John slows down and, and picture, gives us a clear picture of this scene. He lays aside his outer garments, right? These same outer garments in less than 24 hours would be stripped from him by soldiers in which he would be beaten and crucified. And these 12 disciples who were here, any one of them could have taken up the towel. The bowl was available for them as well to wash the feet, but Jesus picks it up. Can you imagine how it must have stung the disciples' heart, a room in silence. Thirteen men in this upper room, twelve of Jesus' closest followers, but yet they were too dignified. They were more concerned with places of honor and prestige. They did not want to pick up the towel. As we look at Jesus' example, I think it's important for us as well to take a minute and reflect on our own very lives, right? What job do we think we are too good to serve? What job around our house, what job here at the church do we think, oh, that is someone else's job. I've passed my time and already served. Are you a spectator rather than a participant in God's work? Do you consistently receive but seldom give? Have you become a permanent, permanent visitor who never seems to plug in? What gift do you possess that the body of Christ is not receiving because you will not show up consistently or be willing to serve? Are you too prideful to forgive? What areas of your life do we need to show humility and be willing to serve? One by one, Jesus washes the twelve disciples' feet and he gets to Peter. And Peter, you know, the one who's never afraid to speak, says, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus tells him, soon you will understand afterwards. You will understand afterwards. But Peter speaks up again and says more, more boldly, Lord, you will never wash my feet. But notice these words in verse number 8. Jesus answered him, the end of verse 8, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Jesus here moves from a physical illustration of washing the dirt off someone's feet to a spiritual truth of cleansing sin from someone's heart. If I do not wash you, Peter, you will have no share with me. The spiritual truth that Jesus makes is clear. Everyone must submit to Christ's cleansing to be clean. 
No one can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ unless they come to Christ for forgiveness and cleansing from sin. No one can enter the presence of God unless he first submits to Christ's cleansing. Do you hear me this morning? So many in our world are trusting in something other than the cleansing power of Christ. Some will say, well, I've been a good person. I've done good deeds. I've been kind to others. I've done good works. But have you been washed with the blood of Christ who cleanses sin? Some will say, I've been to church. My grandfather was a deacon. I went to VBS. But have you been washed with the blood of Christ that cleanses sin? Some will say, it doesn't matter what religion you are. We can all go to heaven no matter what we choose. But God's word tells us you must be washed with the blood of Christ who cleanses sin. Some will say, well, I've served my country faithfully. I've I've represented the good old USA serving in foreign lands. But God's word says you must be washed with the blood of Christ who cleanses sin. You see, to trust in anything other than the blood of Christ is like Jonathan Edwards says, is trusting in a spider web to catch a fallen rock. Jesus says today, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. You see, it's not good enough to see Jesus as simply a good teacher. It's not good enough to see Jesus as a good moral example. The question Jesus wants us to ponder today If I do not wash you, Peter, you have no share with me. Do you see your need of a Savior? Have you been washed by Christ? God's Word tells us we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, and we deserve to be punished. But Jesus comes. And Jesus offers forgiveness by dying on the cross and rising on the third day that whoever will repent and believe in Him can be cleansed. Are you washed? You must be washed in order to share with Christ. And so Jesus says, If I do not wash you, there will be, you will have no share with me. And after Jesus tells Peter he must be washed, Peter, not really understanding, he says, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus responds in verse 10, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. And so we see here Jesus telling him, those who have trusted in me, those who have faith in me, they are completely clean. They have been justified before God, but yet it is their feet. We constantly still sin. We need to be sanctified. And so we see this example before us by our humble Savior. And Jesus closes in verses 12 through 16 with a challenge for us. The challenge from our humble Savior. Jesus, after washing his disciples' feet, after teaching them, he tells them these words. 
in verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus makes it clear. If I am your teacher, if I am your Lord, and I wash your feet, then you too should serve one another. Some Christians, right, believe that Jesus is in, instituting an ordinance of foot washing. And I've been a part of foot washing ceremonies, and I'm okay with that. But I don't believe that Jesus is, is instituting an ordinance here, but he's offering his followers, his disciples, an example to follow. The example of Jesus should mark our attitude and our action. We should be looking to others first. How is it that we can humbly come before and serve one another, right? It is not by our own power. It's not by our own strength, but it is only with Jesus' help. The Spirit of God must produce in us this desire to serve and to love and to see others before ourselves. Imagine with me a church that truly had this attitude of Christ. An attitude of putting others first. An attitude of saying, I will do what no one else wants to do. What type of church would that be? Right? A church where forgiveness and kindness would be on full display. A church where... I would have no volunteers to find and no need to be constantly looking for volunteers in the nursery. It would be a place where shut-ins are cared for and visited. It would be a place where anyone who's in need would have their needs met. It would be a place where everyone would be pitching in and serving. What a church that would be if we would not only look after our interests, but look after the interests of others first. Well, Jesus closes this section, verse 17, or we're going to close with this verse in verse 17. He says, If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are you if you do them. Not just simply if you know them, but if you do them, you are blessed. Isn't that true? As we serve and put others first, that is where true joy comes from. As we are fulfilling our role, we find true happiness. This morning, as we behold Christ, our Savior, who is King of kings, who is Lord of lords, I want to ask you, have you been washed by the blood of Christ that cleanses sins? And how can you look to the interest, not of yourself, but the interest of others in exemplifying the attitude we see Jesus exemplifying here in John 13? 
I'll close with these verses. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. It says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which was yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God, our Father. Let's pray together. Father, would you show us how we can better serve others? God, would you help us to be awe, in awe of your servanthood? and humility that you displayed. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. And God, that you would help us to be more like Christ. Father, we thank you for your great love. Thank you for your son Jesus who died for us. May your Holy Spirit bring conviction to those who have not been washed by your blood. May they cry out to you for mercy and forgiveness today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.